Niños en el arco, la defensa es colosal González, Orlando, La Torre, Nicolás Fuentes y Chumpitas Chalemí, Frin y Cubillas y el gran Perico León Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan la Welcome back to the Food Walk Podcast Peter Galindo, who is the only guest joining me today Who are you, Peter? I'm good Hopefully you can, uh, well, it will be made up to you with uh, some pretty in-depth conversation, which Brian and I were already starting off the air, so uh, safe to say we're raring to go. Indeed, indeed. Uh, let's start with the bad part out of the way first. In the more recent game, before we go talk about something more positive, so let's talk about the Peruvers USA game. Part of the first game where it was like half and half in a long time. By, by that I mean like it's a half Peruvian fans, half USA fans. But the Peruvian fans still outsung the USA fans. It was actually kind of funny because before the game, a speaker was going, U-S-A, and the only thing heard in the stadium was Peru. <laughs> it, it, was, it was really funny. It was embarrassing for that speaker, the guy by the speaker. But um, the, the game was just a mess overall. But in my opinion, it was a much-needed result because that's what friendlies are for. I mean, Peter, last month you, you mentioned that uh, playing against quality sides is a good thing because if you do – Poorly, you get punished and you learn from it, which is true. But this USA side was not strong at all. I mean, it's got some talent for sure for the future. But it was a young side that uh, even her second string team should not be drawing to. And uh, we should have probably lost it, to be honest. It was it was an awful performance. It was a near, it was near result. And I think I think it was a smart place in that second string team to see who stays and who goes to Copa America. So kind of what I asked for, but also kind of not what I asked for because I wanted to see new faces. But uh, at the same time, we need to experiment at some point. So what do you think of this match, Peter? Well, I don't think it was actually as bad as everybody's making it out to be. I mean, I was unfortunately busy the night of the game. I was covering Canada, my birth nation. So I got home that night and I watched the game back, having seen tweets from people on my timeline and just reading reaction in the Peruvian news. And I kind of thought to myself, having seen the score and and the fact that the USA took the lead, that it was going to be a pretty drab match. But I watch it, and yes, there were six changes made, and you could definitely see that at least at the beginning of the match and at the beginning of the second half, that the cohesion wasn't there, which is understandable given the amount of changes made, which was a huge surprise, by the way, that it was going to always be a bit of a struggle, especially because the US was not expected to be on the front foot. So it was kind of always up to Peru to basically live up to the favorites tag and to cruise to victory. Essentially. I have no doubt in my mind that if this was a regular 11, Peru would have probably dominated and probably should have ended up winning by a couple goals. But considering the amount of changes made, I really don't think it was that poor. Yes. There were mistakes made. Nielsen Loyola was a bit of a turnstile. At left back, I mean, what else is new? He's done it with Melgar on the big stage in Copa Libertadores. And then again with Peru here, Alexander Cayens had to basically help cover him. And therefore there was a huge gaping hole in the middle of the defense, which Kellen Acosta really should have taken advantage of. I believe it was in the, somewhere around like the eighth or ninth minute, shot it wide instead. Christian Ramos losing Josh Sargent on the set piece at the beginning of the second half wasn't great, but you could see that the communication and the chemistry wasn't there. And as a result, the team just wasn't completely at the highest level. And I think that people making snap conclusions of, oh, this player isn't good enough, that player isn't good enough, or this player was really good, that player was really good. You can't really come to a conclusion after one or two games, especially in a game where so many changes were made and when these players aren't comfortable with each other. 
do you expect them to maybe put in a better performance against a team that isn't necessarily great themselves uh, and or cohesive themselves? Probably, but this is still a somewhat inexperienced team, especially when it comes to the national team stage. So I, I think considering... And maybe we'll go more into specifics when we get into our, our listener questions because they had a few specific questions about the players themselves. I don't think it was necessarily that bad, although I will focus on the positive a little bit here and say that Edison Flores, Andy Polo, and Renato Tapia uh, reminded us why, I think, well, at least in the case of Flores and Tapia, reminded us why they are starters in this team and why we shouldn't maybe necessarily downplay their importance, which I think was kind of happening after the Chile game when it came to Tapia especially. I agree that some people are uh, jumping on the bandwagon too soon. First of all, let's talk about Rivas. Now, uh, we, we can't use that he's not getting enough service. He doesn't fit the system excuse much longer because it's the same story every time. We almost sound like a broken record. But today, I absolutely can excuse him because he was getting no service whatsoever. And there's nothing he could have done. He was winning. He was even winning a few of his duels as well. So, like, he was doing what he could. Sure, he wasn't great, but I wouldn't call him out yet. I would wait a few more matches because, like I said, Pena did not help him at all. Urtao, even Urtao did not help him. The only player who was trying his best to get to uh, him was Antipolo, who uh, even Flores, I would say, he wasn't getting enough service with really. So today, I, I can excuse him. And as for Cayenne, I agree with you that Cayenne, not only was he not getting help from Loyola defensively, but it's also his first match uh, as a starter in the national team in almost three years, four exactly. years. Yeah. So... He was after after so much pressure of not getting called up. I could imagine he was anxious to impress Carreca, and as a result, it just didn't come out as well for him. What I do agree with is that Loyola and Pena should not be in the national team anymore. Pena, I've rambled on about a lot before. Uh, I've said in this podcast every time someone brought Pena up uh, as a backup for your tune, I would always laugh it off is not the word, but uh, it's basically around that same concept, like just like not take it into consideration because I had never rated Peña. Uh, even when he was at San Martin, I didn't think he was fantastic. Even his move to Dandela, I wasn't a big fan of. Sure, he wasn't getting game time at Granada, but I think Dandela was a too big too big of a step down, I think. And uh, as for, even even if he's playing in the Portuguese league. And as for uh, Loyola, uh, I don't think anyone can disagree, uh, or better said, I don't think you disagree with me, Peter. Loyola should not be on the team anymore because he's, he's a farce nowadays because honestly, I had some faith in him that Gareca could transform him, and he could play as consistently as he did in the Brazil match. That match he did was a fault at goal, but he wasn't atrocious in that game. But ever since, he's just not been good enough for the Peruvian national team, and this is his worst match in my opinion. Completely out of position time and time again, and offensively, he didn't offer anything. He just passed it back. That's all he did. He went up, he went up the wing and uh, never drove forward. So I'm disappointed in Loyola, but I don't think it should be a surprise. So... I think that for next month, we've got to look for a new left back. There's not many options, but you got to try someone like Santillan or, um, like, I'm, I'm not saying to call him up because I don't think he's very good, but Cosillo, even Cosillo is better than Loyola at this point. Uh, again, I don't think I should call him Cosillo. I'm just criticizing Loyola here. For the left backs, I would just call someone up, someone good up and see what sticks uh, until the Copa America. Well, you've already basically answered two of the listener questions with Rui Diaz and the, the left back situation, so I guess we can maybe... I'll say my thoughts for that, just to keep a little intrigue. But in terms of the Benya conundrum, let's call it, look, I don't think he has really the quality to play for the national team. If you at least compare him to someone like Atapia, Aquino, Yotun, um, even the young players coming through, like Jairo Concha, Jesus Pretel, 
maybe even Alexis Arias or Patricio Arce. But he also wasn't really put in the best situation either because playing in the Yotun role is not his best role at club level, at least since he's been in Europe. Whenever he played with Granada, whenever he played with, or at least now that he is playing with Tondela, he does his best work as the most advanced midfielder in a midfield three. So in this case, at least with Peru, that would be kind of in the Christian Cueva role or in the role that he occupied against Argentina last October at La Bombonera because he's more of a dribbler. He's not really too much of a passer. He likes to create with his technique. So putting him in the Yotun role was a little bit surprising from Gareca. That's why I kind of thought Calcaterra had a bit of a chance to to get a start, but maybe he figured because Peña has been a regular call-up, maybe that could bridge some of the, the gaps in the chemistry, so to say. That being said, if you were to bring him on in a certain situation, like if you want to lock it down, if you maybe want to add a little more drive in the middle of the pitch, I wouldn't be opposed to that. But I think because we're now in a new cycle and there are some exciting players coming through, especially after these these youth tournaments are over in, in South America to start 2019, it might be time to start looking at those players and giving them an opportunity. I think the under-20 tournament has got to be a big lookout for the next March friendlies. And then uh, in the Copa America, we see who will co-op. I'm not sure if there's going to be a preliminary list again like there was in the Centenario. But if there is, then that's another chance they can impress. So we have... Realistically, we have about, um, I want to say, six, seven matches left before the Copa America, uh, six, seven friendlies left before it. And uh, that, like I said, there's a pre- preliminary list. There's, that's even better for us. Yeah. So I would I would like to see how the Concha, uh, Alexis Arias, and uh, maybe Patricio Arce, those three, or maybe, and I think that those are good ideas for Cops. Before we go into the Chile game, I, I did want to say that um, – the big uh, comeback for me in this international break was Flores yes. because he's had a very underwhelming year. It has to be said. Last year he was very good. This year he was poor. In my opinion, his underperformance in the World Cup was what got, got us knocked out because uh, he was kind of the missing asset. We needed one of Trauco or Flores to perform, and uh, neither of them did. It was most of that right flank that did. And um, I think that Flores, I'm glad to see him back to his best. Now, I think he's getting back to his best. He reminded us what a good player he really is because he might not be the – he's technically very good, but I think tactically he is spot on because he's one of the players that really makes the side click, in my opinion. Uh, maybe maybe that's a bit far, but, like, I, I think that when both Advincula Carrillo are performing, we need one of Trauco or Flores performing, and Trauco is not really cutting the bill right now. I think Flores is uh, the one I have more faith in at the moment, and the Trauco at least gets some more playing time. Which in the Dorival Jr. doesn't look like he's going to get it. So uh, I'm excited for Flores at Monarcas, and uh, I hope he does well. What do you think, Peter? No, I agree with that. Although I do think that Flores wasn't the only problem with Peru at the World Cup. I think there were many, many other factors, not just limited to the left side. Um, but in terms of his performance in the two friendlies, because I mean, I think he actually played really well against Chile as well. Assisted the goal for Aquino, the uh, the first goal before he came off um, as a substitute. I mean, he followed up really nicely against the United States, I think. Um, And he was a protagonist for the team. And I think that what you said about Monarcas and how he's kind of getting back to his best, I think the fact that he's in a comfortable environment again, he's a key player at Monarcas, he's getting time, that's really boosted his confidence. Because I think he's one of those players who, depending on how he feels mentally, uh, and I guess you could kind of say this with any player, but especially with Flores, 
how he feels mentally really translates to how he ends up playing on the pitch. Because you saw for that World Cup, for about three, four months previous, he wasn't playing a lot with Allborg. He wasn't in great form. He was injured. He comes into that camp, maybe a little bit rusty. Um, going onto the big stage like that, he might have been a bit overwhelmed, if not a lot overwhelmed. So maybe he learned some valuable lessons. And the fact that he got the move to a club that I think values him a lot is really going to help him out. And what you said about Carrillo or Advincula, and then obviously one of the left-sided players doing well really makes Peru click. I think you saw that against Chile because even though they maybe kind of lost the, the possession battle, when you got Flores and Advincula and Carrillo into open space against Chile, oh my God, they were breathtaking to watch. So it's it's good to see that Flores is at least at the moment back in form and potentially getting back to where he was a year ago. All right, well, back to the Chile friendly. Uh, I've already talked about Flores in this past international break. I praised him. Now, uh, as for other praises, I think was superb in that first match. Man, in the second game. I think your two winners also played really well in these two games here. Like, we criticize him so much for this year, uh, especially you, Peter. Yes. But I, I, think that, I think that this match has – I'm so questioning his consistency because of how uh, uh, the whole Lando debacle – but I, I think this match is definitely a positive, or these two matches have been a positive for him because he was superb in both. Yes. And that, that's really good to see. Aquino, no words, really. I, I think there's not much I need to say. I mean, Tapia has proven in the second match that he's still very much not far behind, if at all, from Aquino. Uh, they're probably around the same level, I'd say. Uh, maybe one better than the other, but I'm not, I, I'm not sure which one is better than the other. But the point is they're both very close to each other. And uh, that, that's very good to have two midfielders that are uh, young and are, they're around the same age. And they're both very, very good. And one's getting game time, the other one isn't. In fact, Aquino is probably one of the best midfielders in the Mexican League at the moment because I know stats aren't everything, but he's scoring a few goals. He's growing into scoring now more than he was when he was at Cristal, more than he was when he was at Lobos. So kind of ill-disciplined in terms of cards. Not, not, I'm not talking about like Vidal or Quevedo with discipline. I'm talking about like sometimes <laughs> his, tacos, his tacos get uh, out of place and he, he gets carded a lot. But that's the only concern really. But that, that doesn't seem to be a problem with Peru, just on a consistent basis with uh, the in the Mexican League. But that doesn't take away that he's been very good for Leon. After kind of a shaky start at the club, he's improved a lot. And as for the others... Uh, Rui Diaz, I thought, had an okay first game. He did well to get into the box, but uh, that second goal, he really should have scored it. No, not second goal, but that second chance he got where uh, he had an open net and he missed it. I, I think that was his chance to really uh, sign to critics. But unfortunately, he didn't take it. But like I said, I'm, I'm going to cut Rui Diaz some slack because of that second match where he got no service at all. This match, he had two chances, really, but the previous one was uh, more of the goalkeeper's merit than Rui Diaz's miss, in my opinion. I think that this match, especially the USA one, it wasn't a direct message from Gareca, but in my, from my point of view, it was a way of Gareca saying, you want me to bench Cueva? Well, this is the result. And uh, yeah, that's all the critics of Cueva for missing that penalty. And I think uh, Cueva really signed the critics again because he was a lot better this month uh, from what, when he did play. What do you think, Peter? Yeah, definitely. I think Cueva, I mean, lost in all the Yotun hype and, and Flores' kind of return to form. And obviously, the uh, the duo now known as Carrincula, uh, Carrillo and Advincula on the right side, was fantastic in the game against against Chile. Now, I think part of it had to do with Chile was, just, I mean, they were also quite poor, it must be said. They had no cohesion. They, they looked 
really like a shell of their former selves. I know it, it makes sense because they're kind of going through a, a bit of a rebuild, but Cueva took advantage and, and kudos to him. I think because he's now been getting at least a few more minutes here and there with Krasnodar, you're starting to see that he's gaining the match fitness back and that sharpness back. And I mean, he was just spraying through balls all across the, the final third. It was really fun to see actually. So I think from that perspective, it, it was good to see him as well getting back to form at least temporarily, but I, I'm sure this will become a more common trend than not. And I think that considering we maybe had a few questions about the defense, specifically in this game, I think obviously against the U.S. for obvious reasons, it wasn't as great. But in this game against Chile, they were actually, I think, very, very solid, save for maybe a 15-minute period to start the second half, uh, right before Peru got the opening goal through uh, Rocco's own goal. Christian Ramos especially, I think he was actually a monster back there. Santa Maria, a couple shaky moments, but again, considering maybe his form entering that game, not bad. And Trauco wasn't challenged too much, but on the other hand, I think a much better performance from him defensively, um, especially because Arturo Vidal was kind of making runs on that side too, so it wasn't really easy for, for Trauco to, to handle multiple players trying to run at him because you could kind of see that Chile initially were like, okay, we got to exploit Trauco but it wasn't working, and then pretty much all their attacking ideas kind of faded away. It was a solid performance. They did get a lot of chances created. Um, they heavily, heavily outchanced uh, Chile, just in terms of the quality opportunities they generated. If you look at expected goals, 2.5 compared to 1.2 for, for Chile, which, so I think Peru definitely deserved it based on the underlying numbers, based on the performance we saw. They did deserve to win that game uh, 3-0, although I do, will say that this also plagued them in the U.S. game they were very hesitant around the box to shoot because they could have been up 3-0 at halftime. Even if you take away Ruidias' chances, there were some quality opportunities for Carrillo to shoot, for Flores to shoot, even Cueva to have a hit or two, um, and they didn't take them. And I think that was something that really hurt them at the World Cup as well, uh, especially against Denmark. So they have to work on that. They have to be more willing to shoot on site when they have the opportunities to do that because if they don't, which I kind of think you saw against the U.S., it can come back to haunt you because they outshot the U.S. 14-5 to in that game and ended up tying 1-1 and controlled large portions of that match. So you can get away with it against Chile when they don't play so well. You can't get away with it against the U.S., who I think defended very, very valiantly in that game. Now, the funniest part of the game, uh, back to the Trauco or Vincula thing, the funniest part of that game was when Junior Fernandez thought he could beat Vincula in speed. That was yes. the funniest part of the entire game. <laughs> That's so true. That's very true. I forgot about that, actually. because that, uh, that, that was the funniest part of the whole game. <laughs> oh, 100%, 100% it was. And you could kind of see that as he kept running at him, uh, I'm talking about Fernandez, of course, his teammates were kind of looking at him like, dude, what are you doing? Like, like why are you even bothering with this? <laughs> I could see Vidal kind of, kind of chirping instructions at him. Like, no, no, that's not what you do. You're supposed to don't hug the touchline because he's just going to take the ball away from you. And that happened every single time. I actually think Fernandez's best chances came when he was playing centrally a little bit more. Because uh, out wide, Advinkula was shutting him and everybody else down. I mean, what else is new? All right. Well, I, I think we should answer the questions because we've got quite a lot. We kind of briefly answered some. So you can read those questions. And then the ones I answered, you can just skip or you can answer them 
The first one is from at mucho underscore trabajo. My father has a theory that Ricardo Gareca made all of those changes, talking about the U.S. game, because media folk were complaining that he uses the same guys all the time, like as a way to shut them up. Have you heard these media complaints, and is his theory out of thin air? I've definitely heard these media complaints. A few of us on the podcast have complained about this. I don't think it's that wild of a theory, although I... I don't know about you, Brian. I don't think he necessarily did this like to spite the media. Maybe part of it, but I think he saw the U.S. was going to make eight changes of their own and thought, hey, why not? Let's kind of hit two birds with one stone here. Maybe rub one in a little bit and also give opportunities to players and, and see if maybe these guys are, are are worthy of more minutes. What do you think? I don't think the, the theory is uh, far-fetched in any way, but I, I think it had more to do with the Gareca seeing who stays and who goes uh, because he doesn't get a chance to – play the backups much because it has to be said our squad Bargalese is really not that injury prone, which is a very good thing. Even even when Arbeto Rodriguez was there, he made a lot of matches, but um yep. now we know how injury prone he is at club level. So I wanna say he did it to see who stays and who goes to Club America because he realized this is his chance. He realized he doesn't have to win all the friendlies because they're irrelevant really. They're just a test and experiment. And I think that yeah, you can make the argument that Peru played the full squad. They would have torn apart the USA. But I think that uh, this is a very much needed result and performance to see to bring us back to reality of their depth. Because, yeah, there's depth in some positions. Others, not so much. Like left back, your tunes back up. Well, your tunes back up, there is depth. We're just picking the wrong players, I think. Yes. But that's, that's a topic for later. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I will say, though, that giving those players opportunities – you have to give them more than one start. I mean, it's difficult at the international level because you have so few games, you have so few friendlies. But if you expect a player to really thrive in one game and one game alone, especially someone who's not experienced at that level, then you're going to be disappointed every time. I feel like as Peruvians, we expect instant results. And when we don't see it, we get frustrated and or pissed off at whoever it may happen to be that lets us down which I think is very unfair. We had to have a bit of patience in that regard. So Mucho underscore Trabajo asks us another follow-up. How much of a role did Gareca have regarding choosing opposition and location for these friendlies? I don't know where, but I heard he was upset that his team didn't have much say. Do you think he would have chosen different location and opposition to try out new players? So what I think he's referring to are actually the games from September. He was actually a little bit frustrated that they had to go to Europe. Not so much with the opposition, but the fact that they had to travel in September when players maybe necessarily weren't up to full speed. That was his big issue. And he was also, I believe this was going to happen, but they were also planning on scheduling more US-based friendlies in November before Gareca said, no, I want to play in, in Peru, one in Lima, one in the provinces. Uh, so Kevin Montalvan at K Montalvan 7 asking us, difference in quality aside, did the subs maintain the same playing style? Do you agree or disagree with that? I, I want to say yes. I, it's, a, it's a really hard question because it, it's hard to tell because there's you can see they were trying to play. There was just players with a lacking of confidence in uh, the USA game. I think that um, the style of play was not all right, but it was the same as before. Just with different players. I mean, Urtao, you can see he didn't really fit the quite role. So yeah. uh, even even if he's played as a 10 before and he's done it well, 
Uh, he doesn't really fit the Cueva role. I think Cueva's a player with a lot more flair, whereas Hurtado's more of a goal scorer. Uh, yeah, I, and he's also more of a dribbler. Too. Well, maybe not more of a dribbler, but someone who's more right-side heavy. Cueva's more left-side heavy uh, when it comes to drifting out wide. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. that's the other big difference with them. In terms of the playing style, I think it also depends what you mean by the playing style. If you're talking about the exact same characteristics, then no, I don't think they did. Because... Benya wasn't really making a lot of progressive passes in the Yotun role, which, as I mentioned, is not really his style. They were more right-side heavy than left-side heavy uh, because Nusun Loyola was not as obviously qualified to play in sort of a ball-playing fullback role like Trauco is. Obviously, Cueva wasn't starting, so there wasn't more of a reliance on the left flank. Hurtado is more right-footed, so therefore he went more to the to the right. But you also saw Hurtado at times, because Peña didn't really have much of an idea of how he was supposed to play, Hurtado was dropping deep. Flores was also coming inside a lot as well. And I think you maybe saw a little bit of a disjointed play there for about 10, 15 minutes in the first half. So I don't think the playing style was necessarily exactly the same. But as you said, Brian, there was an effort to try, but it just didn't really come off that way. So moving on to Nardinho's question at Nard Chapel. Is the MLS level challenging enough for Peruvian players? Why do we see players like Ruidias score so much for Seattle, then seemingly disappear for the national team? Also, Yotun being the best player on his team in Orlando, but simply a role player for Peru. So, um, <laughs> lots to pick apart with that. I'll just say Yotun is not a role player for Peru. He's actually one of the more important players. And I think you saw that after he came on against the U.S., how much more in control the team was when he was out there. And when he doesn't play well, the team really struggles, as we saw at the World Cup, as we saw in September. You could argue their most important player in a lot of ways. And with uh, Rui Diaz, scored a lot in Mexico for a team that maybe didn't have necessarily the talent level of the bigger clubs like Tigres or America. Also a very clinical finisher when you compare goals to expected goals. But when it comes to the international level, you don't have as big of a sample size and therefore you might see more inconsistencies with those numbers. I think it also depends the kind of player you're talking about in terms of the MLS level. Someone like Andy Polo, uh, which he talks about in his follow-up question, maybe yes, I think it's challenging enough for someone like Alexi Gomez, possibly. Rui Diaz, no, because I think if Rui Diaz was even a year or two younger, he would have been off to Europe at 26, 25, 26 years old, and he maybe hit his hit this level earlier. I think for some players, much like with anybody at any sort of level, it all depends on the player situation and the player's talent level. But I also think that Rudias needs to be consistently playing, get goals, because I, I think he's a player that you really need to understand the movements of. And uh, I, I feel like the proven national players, uh, I mean, yeah, he's had some shockers uh, in the national team. Let's not, let's not pretend he hasn't. But at the same time, when I watch Seattle, like I watch Venson uh, perfectly place the balls into uh, Ruidias. And I think that uh, that's that's an important thing. Like he, It took him a while to get going at Seattle. But once Venson and uh, Lodeiro understood his movements, he's he's having a stormer. He's moving easily past in, into space, past the fences. And uh, that's very important for Ruidias. Now, at the national team, I feel like he needs to play more consistently because... I feel like Yotun and maybe maybe not Cueva. I feel like Yotun doesn't understand his movements as much as he should. 
And I feel like that's because of the lack of playing time they have had together. Like, even at La U, they weren't together because your team was always at Cristal and he, not even that, he was, he was also left back. So I think this is, uh, this is definitely an interesting case. This is definitely one of the most debated topics in, the, in Peru. Why doesn't he do well for the national team? But I don't think you can criticize him in the same way as Pizarro because Pizarro was one of the best players in Europe, or one of the best forwards in Europe. Rudy is just one of the best forwards in North America, which is different. Completely agree with that, but I'm going to go off on one of the other Ruidias questions um, and really kind of take a take a shot at at, at the opposition side. But anyways, on to Nardinho's uh, follow up. What should we make of Andy Polo's impressive performance against the U.S.? Is it a sign of good things to come, or is his play more suited to play in MLS or North America? I would say it's a sign of good things to come because Polo, for the longest time, wasn't this talent. That- that really hurt him. It was his mentality, and he was just a scared player with no confidence. But at Portland, I'm seeing him drive forward a lot. I mean, sure, he's not getting as much reward, but I think the reward is is due to come in some in, at some moment. He showed a really good performance the other day, and um, I, I think North America is his peak personally. But I, I think at Portland, he's showing a lot a lot better mentality than he was at his previous clubs. And I would actually tip him if he went back to Monarcas now, he would actually do well better than he did last time. I definitely agree with that. I think there are definitely still some inconsistencies with Polo. I think his final ball was still a bit lacking against the U.S. I think there were times when he could have played in a cross earlier or maybe, say, shoot earlier. But again, he's another player, much like Edison Flores, who I think plays better when he is full of confidence. Um, And I think the fact that he was given the start against the U.S. in the country that he plays his club football in was a huge motivator for him. And he took the opportunity. Kudos to him. Because beforehand, he was disappointing a lot of people. Um, So the fact that he was able to rebound and really take the game, you know, by the scruff of the neck and and just run at Ben Sweat repeatedly um, was really fun to see. Because as we have seen Brian many times... He has been more of a cautious player when he first started out at Monarcas. Um, not so much anymore. He's maybe taking a little more of, of, a, of an impetus to actually play like an attacker should. Moving on to Max Michael Inga at Max Futbolero. Considering our centre-back depth, does Alexander Cayens deserve or get another call-up? I think so. It would be harsh to cut him from the November friendlies after one appearance. Uh, in, in a word, I agree. Brian, what do you think? I agree too. But the problem with Cayenne is there's just so much, too much center back depth. And in my opinion, there's one center back in the Peruvian league that is better than him. And that is Paulo Fuentes, who is on, yes. like on radar. So it will be harsh, yes. And I think he should be given more of an opportunity. And shouldn't he just be looked at for this just one game for mentioned, the reasons I mentioned earlier. But I think Paulo Fuentes is the better player. I think that maybe uh, well, no, not Ramos. I think that maybe one could be cut on the national team. Maybe Santa Maria if he keeps performing poorly. I mean, Santa Maria objectively is a better player than Cayens, but it, we'll we'll see we'll see how it pans out. I think Paulo Fuentes is definitely the next center back who's going to get in the national team because he's he just he's just massive, and and he's still quite young too. You have to keep in mind, and he's been getting regular minutes at a at a club like Melgar that's been obviously competing for titles and whatnot. And I think that if they end up winning the Clausura. And maybe even, I mean, obviously it's possible to win the Clausura, but win the league. You know, you never know. Maybe he gets a call up for March, right? Uh, it's very possible. 
So Max with a follow-up, and he's tugging at my heartstrings with this one. I think we should still give Raul Ruiz more time, November games minimum, but when is it time to get worried? The March friendlies, he suggests. And I would say yes, as long as the team and the attack is still playing to his strengths. Because for the first time since he has been with the national team, we finally saw a Peru team that actually was tailor-made for Ruiz. Low crosses, through balls, latching onto those onto those runs that he makes. He was getting actually quite involved in the build-up a lot of times, especially against Chile. I think we have to give him a little bit of slack against the U.S. because it must be said, Aaron Long and Cameron Carter-Vickers were absolutely immense in this game. They were snuffing out any sort of through ball or cross coming into the box. And obviously, Ruiz being as short as he is, it was quite difficult for him. I don't understand the Peruvian mentality of he has one bad game and that's it. We should toss him aside, find someone different. It goes back to the theory of we want instant results and when we don't get it, we get frustrated and we just disregard everything. Ruiz is a quality player. He is the best finisher we have in this squad. Yes, he missed a couple of great chances against Chile. That's going to happen. In, in an international setting, you have such a small sample size, you end up having things more magnified and sometimes the numbers are out of whack. He's eventually going to come good if those chances are there. Because as I wrote in my takeaways, and you can check them out on the website at, on the Peruvian Waltz, if he wasn't getting scoring opportunities, that would be worrying. But he is, and therefore we should calm down for at least another few games until we actually start properly getting carried away on whether Ruiz is the answer. Abel Gamarra at Abelanda81. Who are the options to replace Loyola as Trauco's backup? Players like Santillan, Vasquez, Céspedes, or aim for the future with López from Cristal who is a left back by trade and in the under 20s. Brian, you threw out suggestions there, but if you want to come out um, and maybe talk about the Lopez thing, you can. I actually think Lopez might be the answer, at least for the long term, but I'm not sure if, if his best position is left back or as a winger. I think right now playing as a winger is ideal. I will say that he has been a lot more disciplined with his positioning with Cristal over the last few games since he got called up in September. So maybe that is the answer. Uh, and we have to see how he does at the Sudamericano Sub-20 as well. Because if he does well as a left back and he starts as a left back, then yeah, I'd say give him a shot. Because Loyola is definitely not taking that backup left back spot and running away with it. I also mentioned this earlier. Yeah, Vasquez is an option. He's not exactly young, but he's an option for now. And I think he's a lot defensively better than uh, Loyola. And I don't think he'd be as scared. Maybe offensively he won't offer much, uh, but he, and he won't be as defensively sound as Ando Corso was in the right back. I, I think that what we have to do is try a few left backs and then see what sticks. There's really not much better, but I think Loyola has proven such a low level in recent times that we have to try something new because, like I said, I think even Cosio would be better than Loyola at this point, and I don't rate Cosio at all. And speaking of Corso, I don't think he'll be back on the national team soon. Like maybe he'll be back, but he's not exactly performing well for Lau since his injury has not been the same player. So yeah. right back, the right back backup has to be uh, another position to worry about. It's not just the left back. Uh, so onto the question that you, I am sure, are desperate to answer and talk about, Brian. Uh, <laughs> Abel Gamarra again asking us: Sergio Pena failed to control the game for us. Is he the player to replace Yoshi? Or do we need to look for other options like Alexis Arias, Brian's candidate, or Jairo Concha? So seeing as how he mentioned you by name, Brian, and I know you talked about this earlier, if you want to elaborate, you may. Well, Alexis Arias is a choice that 
if he does well, then he'll stick because, I mean, he's kind of like Loyola in the sense that he was out of his depth in the Libertadores, in the Panamericanos, but I feel like he's matured since both of those moments. Maybe not the Libertadores. He needs to be given a chance because Ars is a great player and all, but he's he's more like he's more a Peña than a Yotun, in my opinion. He's better at dribbling, and uh, he's not the ideal player to replace Yotun. And he's also a bit older than Arias. So Arias is a lot of potential player around. Ars not as much. Yeah. Concha, you definitely have to give a chance at some point, but we got to see how it does in the U20s. I want to see him develop a little more first before burning him out uh, potentially. Well, I do agree with with the Concha parts and also Adias as well. I mean, it wouldn't hurt. The thing with Concha is I think since he went away with with the under-20s to Russia, you can see he's come back, and maybe this has coincided with San Martin maybe not being in the greatest of form. He's really not trying to do the simple things anymore. He's trying to be too elaborate now, and I guess that kind of comes with being a young player and whatnot, but you kind of hope that maybe once he goes away to the under-20s, Maybe then that'll help write his path again. But still a candidate for me for the future because he's you know got tons and tons of talent. And unlike Yotun, Goncha is more of a dribbler as well. So maybe, and he's also more familiar to playing in that role compared to Peña. So maybe that could also give Peru a different look in that way. Um, another name I'll throw out there, which I believe uh, Abel has thrown out there before, and I do agree with this, Jesus Pretel as well. I think he could actually be a candidate for the future. And he's actually had a good season with San Martin as well. And I would be absolutely shocked if he doesn't go back to Cristal for next season to help them with the Libertadores and to manage all those uh, extra competitions too. I guess we can talk about the, some of the transfer rumors. There's three that I want to highlight. I've been going to Atletico Madrid, which I don't know how, how true it is. I don't know the certainty of it, but it's definitely one that uh, we should talk about anyhow. The real Fernandez to the MLS and Kevin Cabello to the MLS, which you just brought up in the group earlier today, Peter. So yes. let's talk about uh, the big one first. I mean, Atletico Madrid. Apparently, if Santiago Arias goes to Napoli or elsewhere, then Arrincula will join Atletico Madrid, which I believe, I kind of believe anyways, because he's the, I think he's the sort of player that will, will can thrive under Simeone because he's defensively strong and he's good offensively as well. Uh, the, the thing is, we gotta see. We gotta see if he can maintain the season with Ryan Vallecano, which I think he definitely can. He, he showed in the past he has the quality too. His past few campaigns with all of his clubs have been good. Even with Tigres, when he's come on, he's been good. Uh, it was. It's kind of funny looking at it now that he's not being. He's deemed not good enough for Tigres, but Atletico Madrid wants him. I don't think there's a more fitting like player coach relationship that could possibly happen than Lucho and and El Cholo. I, I think like that would just be a match made in heaven. I think in terms of the probability of it happening. I'd maybe give it like 40 or 50% because look, you also have to keep in mind the rumor broke during the international window. That's when a lot of papers tried to sell their, their column inches, but the actual story is legitimate because they are looking to sign a replacement. If Santiago Arias goes to, to Napoli, which is actually looking quite likely. And as we know, Juan Fran is getting up there in age. He's lost a little bit of, of, of pace. Advincula can obviously be a bit of an upgrade in that regard. So it, it's probable. Um, he is on loan at Rayo Vallecano. All Atletico would have to do is go to uh, Tigres and say, okay, here's the transfer fee. They kind of come to an agreement with, with Rayo possibly. Yeah, I think the summer's more likely. But uh, it depends on the scenario it goes to Napoli because they're going to need an emergency right back. And I think uh, emergency situations are never good, but I think in that situation I can accept it because – I mean, if they have no other good right back to compete for the league, I think Abiko is the, the chosen one for that scenario. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, the next one is Raul Fernandez to the MLS, who has actually already been in the MLS. And at one point when he was there, he was named the best player in the league in the month. Well, I think it was player of the month, rather, which is obviously the best player of the league in the month. Fernandez, he's getting back to his best. I don't think he's going to be in the national team anytime soon. And uh, I think some people jumped to conclusions when he got that red card against Ayacucho. And I definitely think, I don't think he's a starter for low. I think better Subsuka's, uh, maybe he's not better, but I think he's a better choice for now because he's shown maturity. He, he's definitely one, if low stay up, he's definitely a choice for the future. Now, low, what they want is to stay up, of course. I, I think that he do want the MLS again, to be honest, because I think he's doing well in the league when he has played, aside from that red card against Ayacucho, which lost from the starting spot. Yeah, I still question how serious he is at this point because he a decline like that doesn't happen that that much. Like he doesn't decline so much, and so there's been theories that like he's won his money in the MLS and he's gone back to Peru to just like to just chill out. I don't know those how certain those theories are. You can't really make a truth of it. Yeah, I pretty much I don't have anything else really to say other than I think he'd be a good addition for a team. The quality of goalkeeping has gone down significantly in MLS since he left. So I'm sure he would instantly become one of the better leagues or goalkeepers in the league if he were to return. I'll say that. I think that FC Dallas would be cool because it would be like a comeback and he would definitely start because I don't know if he's a fan favorite, but the club definitely recognizes him. The last one is Kibel to MLS. Peter, you can, you can talk about this one because you're the one who broke it up to me. Well, also, Alder Fuentes is also linked to MLS as well. He was linked to Colón in Argentina in August, LAFC in August as well, and it looks like LAFC is in for him uh, again for January. Uh, so it's both Alianza players who could actually be leaving, and it sounds, based on the report, that the club is kind of resigned to losing them when the window opens. Uh, Quevedo is linked to New York City FC, where he played obviously with David Villa. He would be coached by... Pep Guardiola's longtime assistant, uh, Dome Torrent. So I think it would be a good move for him. I think for both players, really, at this point in their careers, because they're 20 and 21 respectively, it would be excellent for them to go abroad and to test themselves and to get that next level of development. Quevedo especially because I think as, you know, much like with Alexi Gomez when he was in Peru, dealt with attitude issues, dealt with attitude issues as well when he was abroad. So you kind of wonder if, Maybe the move could help him and maybe, you know, right the ship in some ways, maybe get him focused. Maybe he feels like he's potentially a bit of a big shot in, in Peru because he's in his comfort zone. So maybe going outside that comfort zone can help him. I think Fuentes going to a team like LAFC would be fantastic for him because they're more of a possession-based team. And I think Fuentes could actually really thrive in that, whereas obviously at Alianza, more counterattacking, more direct. And if you look at the numbers and you just look at him play, uh, a very good progressive passer of the ball when he has to do it. So I, I would be interested in seeing that for sure. Yeah, I know. It's, it's an interesting one. I have more faith in Cabello on the MLS than I do Gomez because I think Cabello is more tactically disciplined than Gomez. But anyways, I guess we're going to end the pod here. So thank you for listening. My name is Brian. My Twitter handle is B underscore Bird T98. Peter, what is yours? My Twitter handle is at GalindoPW, and you can follow the show at Peru Waltz, and don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Well, thank you for listening. We're signing off.